0: have the best of both worlds here. The last remaining trawlers ditch the unsailable back into the sea and when they're not out, skips are gone through. Families unsure what to do for the day, walk about or stand along the east pier convinced that all is well. Pointing at Hoth to queries about what's over there.
1: Quite a lot of um, fondness for Kingstown among certain t- communities and clubs. They like to hold on to the Kingstown aspect of it.
2: There was a certain yachting coterie which did not mix with the common folk. The ferry crosses to the North Wall, but is it really moving?
0: We brace ourselves against disgusting wind and heel.
3: The Dart shuttles under bridges like a toy train the greenness of the coast and the blueness of the sea, the waves have a brogue as they break.
4: It says something about the town itself when you have that sign up there and it says, all are welcome.
0: Ladies and gentlemen of the People's Park, hooded lads beyond in the bus shelter, those well-to-do and those who barely keep their heads above water. Do we live our lives in vain?
5: Dunleary Shopping Centre, the monstrosity of it, in many ways ruined the atmosphere of Dunnery, but it has redeemed itself by the building of the new library.
0: A dog checks along the cold seafront. Old married couples get on with it. This is a homecoming of sorts. Scuba divers at the 40 foot. Bob and duck like seals caught in the drifting nets. The coast is clear. Wales and England ride on the tide. The sky is laced with jet trails. By the time we reach the baths, the aquamarine has turned ice blue. I'm here on the East Pier of Dun Harbour. Beautiful harbour it is too. My name's Gerald Daw, I'm a poet, and I've been living in Dun for the last 30 years. I'm going to be meeting friends and colleagues over the next 40 minutes, and we're going to be talking about Dun its history, its past, its literary and cultural connections and the first person i'm going to be talking to about all this is the broadcaster brendan balf <laughs> brendan you moved here in the early 70s what
2: was it, what was Dunleary like to a young lad as you would have been? Yeah, well, we moved here when we got married in 1974, but I would have been also around the place before that, even though I lived up in Kilmacud Road, so it was still within within the borough, more or less. And it was sort of a place to go to for a cup of coffee or to meet pals or whatever I was going around. It was a sort of a, a social place to go to because there's not a lot up in Kilmacud, I can tell you. <laughs> um, so you come down here, pals of mine who lived in Monkstown in that ne- neck of the woods. Um, so that was the place we went to. We were, a favourite place... Around that time uh, was the Bamboo Cafe, which is down on the main street, roughly opposite Walter's Pub, which came later. And the cinema was there, the Adelphi Cinema, we went to see that. Um, pavilion here was still the old Art Deco thing, not the, not the recent thing. So that was a social place. The top hat, the ballroom, down at the entrance to the town had been there since the mid mid 1953 I think it was was the year it opened and had gone from uh, sit down ballroom orchestras to show bands to punk and Clashes and Vipers and Nirvana played there, and people of that age. And eventually became, in its latter days, a skateboard emporium, <laughs> a skating rink. Yeah. So I, I, I think I was only in one such or twice. He did a couple of TV shows from the top hat as well, like now. I think Jerry Ryan did a pop show from there. So that was the, the, sort of the, 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 the main place, though, uh, I love best in the area for entertainment purposes was the Longford Tennis Club, which would be roughly where the Sea Point. Dance station is now wow. down that end. <laughs> uh, it was just a tennis club, but they had a dance there of a Sunday. And the big band were the Greenbeats, John Keogh and the Greenbeats, who were our Beatles. And we're talking now about yeah, late sixties, early seventies, that sort of time. Um, and they were um, huge. They were the uh, the best possible beat group. Hi.
0: So there was a lot going on, really. There was really. a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for some reason I have a sense of a rainy, grey, uh, 60s Dunleary. It must be, I'm clearly wrong. Yeah, uh,
4: no, no,
2: it wasn't uh, that, no. So,
0: so when you married then, you moved into...
2: Yes, from Kilmercote Road. Yeah. Um, uh, Eileen, my wife, she was a Dunleary native. I was a, a Kilmacard native, and we were married in '74. Um, we saw the house on a Sunday, driving around for auction. Apparently, there had been a death, or I shouldn't you know. The, the 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 owner was moving to a, a nursing home, apparently. An elderly person, uh, sort of villa-type houses, yeah, called at the yeah, time, yeah, um, which was um, the, some of the, the front rooms are perfect cubes, a thirteen by thirteen by thirteen, <laughs> believe it or not. And we came in, and um, I remember, I remember my memories. Um, we said to the auctioneer, "By the way, there's a uh, brown furniture, there's a cupboard and a wardrobe and yokes. Can we have those?" And we added an extra every hundred quid and paid for them. I bought them. Um, but in between uh, getting the key and, and buying them, um, their family, I won't name the names, came up from the country, got a key to the house from a neighbour and ransacked it and so took everything out. Oh, dear, 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 dear. <laughs> we, were, we were known um, immediately as the young couple, uh, and indeed still are. Uh, but but we, were the first, we were the first move move-ins, if you like, in yeah. living memory, because it would all been there since God knows when, since God was a boy. And, and
0: was, you, when did you discover the kind of resonances that were literally up the street from you and down the
2: street? I mean, Eileen O'Casey was there? Eileen O'Casey lived up the road, um, the widow of, of, of uh, Sean O'Casey. Um, Wilfred Bramble, as you probably know, lived literally at Ross road at number one. And he was uh, um, a graduate of the Gates Theatre, and he went to London, and he got Steptoe. And I think he played no other part. I think he played what, a couple of plays, but didn't do much other than Steptoe, was actually, because of such a recognisable character and a recognisable character. And, Cus- and Cusack was there. Uh, Cusack came in, when Ira Casey died, he, he took it, it on the house. Uh, I the think house. because of its literary uh, reputation, if you like. I mean, it's an interesting kind of
0: phenomenon, uh, the extent to which that small little area seemed to attract into it actors, writers, it's very Uh, odd yeah it's very
2: odd but
0: Uh, you also have identified other figures who are possibly lesser known today yeah yeah uh, yeah.
2: like a, a, a singer and singer famous singer frankie blowers Ireland's Bing Crosby, he was known. He sounded exactly like Bing Crosby. And when we
0: talk about from the 30s to 40s,
2: he would have been he would have been big in the 40s and 50s uh, in the theatre. He was sort of resident of the Theatre Royal in Hawkins Street, and and um, that closed in 62. He was a band singer, but he became a solo singer. But he was just the living spit of Bing Crosby's voice, extraordinary. Um, and Noel Ginnity, who's my great pal, lives down the road from us, and, um, and Maria Marie Emma the actress, is there. There was a dynamic. Uh, very much Cultural so. life Very back, much so. back
0: back then.
2: Very much so indeed. Yeah. And
0: uh, tell me, uh, when people asked you where are you from or where are you living, you said Donegal. You, you would say Donegal. I mean, was there a sense that Donegal wasn't Dublin?
2: That there was an identity
0: to this place, not Dublin, but yes, yes it was Dublin. To an
2: extent, well, it was a lot of it driven by the by the sorry the yacht clubs, and I've always said that. And see, how connected were they to your world? None. You know? Not remotely, not in the slightest. The yacht clubs? The yacht yeah. clubs, three of them along the front, yeah, as you yeah. well know. Uh, the National, the Royal, and the other one, I can't remember. Um, and they were they were very, um, if you like, esoteric in the sense that there was a certain yachting coterie which did not mix with the common folk. But you, you, I remember you'd always see, um, on, the, on the Sunday Independent... Always on the front page would be whoever, Gareth Fitzgerald or Jack Lynch or somebody, um, having strawberries uh, with the members of the art club at the close of the Donnelly Reef Festival. I said, what? john festival <laughs> <laughs> i mean you knew nothing about it until it was over i said where did that happen from? and it was the three yacht clubs parties there occasional a garden party up in the royal marine gardens and that's where they had the, the ending so there was this little thing of uh, yachting uh, coterie which did not mix very much with the with the proletariat uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Yeah. i mean but that's all gone now that's very much all so. gone oh that's very much gone. So, yeah. so i mean was there the consciousness when you settled and you know uh, put your roots down here that you were sort of seeing an older Dunleary forward slash Kingston yes. in the rear mirror
2: yes. and a new Dunleary emerging. Yes. Yeah, we love the Victorian town and I think I think that it is a Victorian town. Um, I think the council should uh, admire it and, and prolong it and look after it. You know, it's, it's getting a bit ragged.
0: East Pier, not a bad day today, by all accounts. Little bits of mist hang above our encampments, villas wedged into cliff face, the grand terraces overlooking the bay, an older order of things. Along with the sprightly, there's one or two giving out on the latest iPhones, unassuageable complaint. I keep to the East Pier, under this cold blanket of sky. Patches of mist, like smoke from a fire. One of the bounties of Dunleary is when you stand with your back to the Royal Marine Hotel here, and looking straight down towards Dublin Bay, There is a sense that the Pacific landscape around here is uh, touched by literary and cultural reference. Just where we're standing in the green in front of the Royal Marine across the way is one of the uh, sites of Aidan Higgins's wonderful novel, Balcony of Europe. There's a wonderful image where the father figure in the novel is looking out and seeing the folks heading off for emigration, literally in front of us, down towards Carlisle. I'm with Jonathan Williams, the literary agent, and we're before the Royal Marine Hotel standing on the green in front
3: of us. It has significances that you know well. The significance is that uh, Henry James stayed here for about six or seven weeks between the end of June 1891 and towards the middle of August. And while he was here, he wrote two short stories. Um, he also had correspondence with his great friend James uh, Russell Lowell and talked about the greenness of the coast and the blueness of the sea and said uh, the waves have a brogue as they break and he obviously was very uh, at ease here he said he came for peace for obscurity which is interesting and for uh, leisure And the stories he wrote uh, were, one was called the Chaperone. And by an artful twist, the Chaperone is a daughter who's chaperoning our mother Hmm. in Italy. And uh, he gives the family name as Tramore, which is, I think, not insignificant, you know, the town in uh, County Waterford. And the other story is called A Private Life. These two were published then initially in magazines and, uh, you know, subsequently as part of his uh, short story collection. I can't think of any work of James that has an Irish setting, Mm. but at least these two stories were composed in that uh, wedding cake of a hotel over there. That's a wonderful piece of history. Uh, I mean, you have your own connection with this,
0: this town, this neighbourhood, because you moved here, didn't you, from, from Wales, and uh, from Canada, rather?
3: From Canada, uh, From Canada. yes. I, I, I'd worked as a writer's agent in Canada, and uh, I had been in Ireland earlier, as uh, doing postgraduate work, and, and also uh, in publishing a little, and it was um, just somehow lodged in my bones, so I emigrated to Ireland from Canada and uh, I'm rather like a native weed now. (laughs) (laughs) What year was that? How long have you here? 1986. Ha! So, I mean, you're a native-born,
0: more or less, (laughs) for that length of time. I mean, and also the fact that you've so many writers associated with this region. I mean, you knew them personally or you've represented them uh, as a literary agent.
3: Yes, one of the um, estates that uh, my agency handles is that of Mervyn Wall, who lived very close to where we are now, and uh, wrote The Unfortunate Furzy and lots of other books. I've been uh, fortunate to get some of his books back into print, both here and in North America. I mean, one of the things that's always struck me as I walk around here is the connectedness
0: of writers. You know, Beckett and and The Harbour, um, people like Monk Gibbon, Porrick Cullum, Mm. indeed Casement. J.M. Singh, Singh of course, yes, yes up in, yes. in Glenageary. I mean, were you conscious of that when
3: you moved here? That it was, it did have that literary history in the streets. I think more I was conscious of doubling having a rit- literary history, uh-huh. and this is part of the conurbation, mm. you know. And it was a place that I, I thought was a very attractive place to live in, and then the first place i stayed here i lived here was uh, very adjacent to the joyce tower
0: one of the great poems thomas kinsler's nightwalker takes place with that in its backdrop mm-hmm. and uh, the the bay in front of us and needless to say a younger generation of writers have emerged people like uh, hugo hamilton uh, mm-hmm. joseph o'connor yes, and, yes. and 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 others so i mean Henry James has given a kind of uh, invisible grandeur to this wonderful old hotel. It is extraordinary to think that, you know, 100 years, 150 years or 120 years on, we've got these young poets and writers and novelists walking around and producing work of such quality. it's
3: very heartening. House of Fiction.
0: Along Hay Terrace, a drizzle of wind and rain rattles the loose windows upstairs. Is that himself I see, squinting behind the scrim curtains? This is surely where he had spotted the people heading to Carlisle Pier. The belted suitcase, the blue serge suit, the V-neck gansy all in readiness for Princess Maud's heave through the Irish Sea. Nothing spectacular but that last sight of Scotsman's Bay as she works herself free. For 30 odd years I took the dart from Dunleary into Trinity College where part of my teaching job involved working with writers of the future in the Trinity Oscar Wilde Centre. Students at the center came from many countries all over the world. But the journey often got me thinking about all the people who left this country from Dunleary over decades, but also about the new people arriving. Like Malato Okuri, a student then I first met her, and now a well-established and published writer. I wondered what impression she had of Dunleary. Did you have any sense of Dun Laoghaire? Did you have any sense of South Dublin, North Dublin? Did you have any sense of uh, landscape?
4: At the time when I was in um, Trinity, not necessarily, but I think a few years afterwards, I did do some work in Dun And it was, you know, there's a difference now because now I go there a bit often because I have a daughter who schools there. But at the time when I was coming in to work there, because I was coming to care for an older woman, it was a quiet and, you know, people just kind of made way on the street, you know, things like that. There was just mm. kind of people looking after after one another. It has always been a very lovely place.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you should say that because when I arrived there in late 80s, early 90s, it did have this feeling of being a cosmopolitan town. And, of course, that goes, I suppose, back through generations, back to the 1920s and 30s, because in the old days, it was always perceived to be, uh, as Kingstown, Anglo-Irish, upper-middle class, conservative, whereas now you get the feeling that it actually has opened up and there is that sense of being a kind of cosmopolitan, there's that sense of a mix going on, which is fantastic and creative
4: and productive.
0: Yes, The thing that has struck me you know, about your own writing since the days in um, the Wild Centre, that you have gone on now to actually become quite an significant and important figure in your own right as a writer and uh, as a cultural leader. I mean, had you any anticipation that this is where you would... Locate yourself finally here in, in in Ireland.
4: Honestly, if if I had actually envisioned the, the you know what's going on in my life now, I would have run a mile. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it would be the other yeah. direction. You know, um, not at all, Jerry. I think that you know sometimes um, things just happen. I don't know for whatever reason you know that things happen. But you know I'm, I'm here and I'm just I'm trying to figure it out. I never thought that that would be the case. Creative writing was just something I was interested in and mm. I wanted to learn. So much about it, and you know, being in Trinity at the time, uh, the Oscar College Centre was such a wonderful space to to learn. I was like a sponge; I was picking up from everyone around yes. me, you know. But I didn't think beyond that. There were a few people that were in direct provision that went on to do um, study in a, in a third level institution, and most of them were studying things that made sense. To me, at the time, you know, they were going in for business. I just wanted to do creative. I just wanted to do something with literature. So for me, that was like, what are you doing? You know, you should be doing something practical. But my heart wasn't in any of those things. I went in for where my heart was. So it was wonderful to have you, to have people like Jonathan Williams that I met at the time. But I didn't see anything beyond. And as soon as I finished and I had my opportunity, I got my residency, I went into something else entirely. I, I became a carer. So it wasn't even something that I thought that I could progress with. But, you know, I think the stories or my stories pushed where I wasn't willing to go.
0: Well, you have a you have a piece that you're going to read to us, are not yes. you? Yes. Which is so appropriate given the kind of the, the notion of migration and m- mobility that, in my sense, Don Larry embodies.
4: Can I tell you something about Don Larry? Yes. Uh, time I'm driving in and I'm driving down towards the town center, there's a church that I always pass that always interests me. And I smile when I pass, and that's, it says St. Matthias, and he says, all are welcome. You no, know, I'm sure you live there, you probably don't notice it. But every time I see that church, I, you know, it makes me, uh, it kind of gives me a warm feeling. I'm like, okay, all are welcome. I'm going to stop by one day and actually just go in. Go in. It's just such a beautiful, it says something about the town itself. Mm. When you have that sign up there and it says, all are welcome. The story I'm going to read from today is called Arrival. And it's about a young woman arriving into Ireland for the very first time. She emerged from the baggage collection area in the arrivals and sat on her suitcase. Rustling through her handbag and unable to locate her hairbrush, she stood up and finger-brushed her weave, after which she stressed her tight-fitting denim. Remembering, she had to keep an eye out for the person who is to collect her. She looked up and encountered a man's stare, as if he had been waiting for her to look up for a long time. He was standing a few feet away at the waiting area. He smiled, and when she returned his smile, he walked confidently towards her. She watched him strolling over, deciding he must be the one asked to pick her up. She ran her eyes over him, assessing. He did not fit the image of a taxi driver. He was nicely dressed. The only thing Udeme had given her as a description for the person was that he was tall. He hugged her when he reached her. He was quick and unexpected. She smiled courteously. He took hold of her suitcase as if she was an old friend and she removed her hand from the handle. Before she could ask if he was the one sent, he turned and headed for the sliding doors. Wheeling her suitcase beside him, hanging her handbag over her shoulder, she hurried after him.
0: I've seen many changes, many, many changes in Dun in my time here. Well, perhaps one of the most dramatic has been the ending of the ferry services, which connected Dun Dublin, Ireland with Britain and the rest of Europe. It's a very dramatic change um, for the lifestyles of all those people that worked uh, the service and were, were resided here. But there's also this, the loss of the skip that attached itself to the ferry service, the sound of foghorns. I remember lying in bed mornings and evenings, uh, you could hear the foghorns through the mist, through the fog. um, And that is now completely gone. Uh, One of these strange alterations to our lives here. Suddenly, fog everywhere. Fog in the trees, in the chimney pots, in the hedges, at the street corner, in the railings. Fog on the roofs of the offices and fog in the garden. Fog horns sounding on the bay that is invisible. Fog horns in the house like a groundswell, the sound of childhood in the dark of early morning. Fog in your eyes, in your hair, fog horns that come From somewhere deep down, the unnerving fog, the blood pulse. Some of the other things that have been lost include buildings, streetscapes. The art historian Eamor O'Connor recalls her Dun Laoghaire childhood and how things started to change even then.
5: I remember the houses being knocked down to build Dun Laoghaire shopping centre. Hmm. The 7 bus stop was there. And ah. I remember being horrified watching, I always loved old houses and they knocked down this lovely, the Terrace. they knocked yeah. down a beautiful yeah. terrace. And I was very young, but I remember thinking how horrible that was. But I later went on to run a gallery in Daenerys Shopping Centre. I was many years in Daenerys Shopping Centre, um, where I ran a gallery and a, a, a kind of um, like a, a workshop place for children. Oh, very good. So mums and dads would drop in their children and I'd do all these mad workshops with them making Christmas decorations and things, it was great and I sold paintings in that gallery for many, many years up on the third Your floor. Own my own paintings, yeah. When I thought I could paint, Jerry. Oh, not at
0: all we have one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sorry.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I stopped, you know I got to a stage in my career where it was either go to art college, by this stage I was in my early thirties, go to art college or go to college, and I went to college then, and the rest is history really, I haven't really painted much since.
0: As you walk around the streets of Dun you will see plaques to this writer or that writer. Yeah. Well, what about the artists, the visual artists?
5: Well, the uh, visual artist. there's a writer I do want to talk about because he was very connected with the visual arts as it happens, and that's John Millington Singh. Uh, the visual artist that really got me in Dun was Imogen Stewart of course, because she does the Stations of the Cross and they're her Stations of the Cross in Denary Church. And I remember going into that church as a very young child. You know, it had just been rebuilt after the fire and there was always a smell of rubber in it. Do you remember that smell? (laughs) Really? And I remember the floor. I'd be a very visual person. It had this kind of black ridged floor. Very modern inside. And these extraordinary pieces of work on the wall. And I didn't know what I was looking at, but I know I loved them. So, I've sort of followed her career very much since. So, there, there are a number of very fantastic artists in Donneria, but this is the person that really
0: yeah. stands out for me. I mean, her fingerprints are literally all over that oh, building with the lovely yeah. uh, door door frames uh, and so on. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. And what's the connection in your mind with Singh then? I got very interested in John Millington Singh because he lived in Crossways Park and his mother lived up on uh, the Glenegiri Road. But um, John Millington Singh was a brilliant photographer. So he was actually a visual artist in his own way. And I got very interested in his photographs when I was doing my research. And in 1904, if I, it, is, it was 1904, he travelled the west of Ireland with Jack B. Yeats. He wrote a series of articles for the Manchester Guardian about, you know, the corporisation yeah. and the conditions. Yeah. And he was he was really very critical. And Jack B. Yeats illustrated those articles. And later on, of course, his book comes out. So, So that whole connection really interests me, yeah. But just step back a minute from
0: that. So, I mean, we we have noticed the footprint of the writers that Mm -hmm. have associated themselves, lived there Mm -hmm. from the area Mm -hmm. and so on. Would it be fair to say that the artists, Imogen Stuart being one, are not so well known and their associations with the town?
5: I think the later artists are better known. I see, I grew up around artists. I met Tom Ryan when I was very young. I was in um, Harry Kernoff's studio after he died. I remember meeting his sister, Lena. I was very young. I, was, I think that was 1972. I remember the smell of that room. But it, th- they had certain ways of working, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So to meet work like Imogen Stewart's at such a young age was, was um, like... A creative explosion. <laughs> I didn't realize that then, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You don't realize what's happening as you're growing up. Yeah. You don't really realize what's And this was in Dunleary where you met her. This was in yeah, and, and yeah. seeing her work in St. Michael's Church. Yeah.
0: That access, that uh, intimacy, the, the presence of art like that in a church or nearby, local. I mean, it really is a kind of defining element in a writer's and a uh, a critic's life. It's so
5: important. Mm. And and what I want to say to you, I mean, to be honest with you, um, I felt Dunnery Shopping Centre, the monstrosity of it, in many ways ruined the atmosphere of Dunnery. But it has redeemed itself by the building of the new library. And I'm bringing this up because it is a stunning building, but the exhibitions that are put on in there, the visual art exhibitions that go on in there, are absolutely extraordinary and open to everybody.
0: The journals. Crooked locked cars are parked correctly. Only the Range Rover's slightly askew. Numbered rubbish bins and black bags from the apartments. Left out in place since last night, or was it early this morning? Halfway down the road, a woman backs into full view, admiring herself or just straightening the straps of her slip. And next door, a family on the porch steadies itself. Don't forget, she says. Who will ever remember that this was so? I can hardly even hear my own footsteps. One of the intriguing things about Dunneery is its its actual name. In 1821, the name Dunneary uh, was changed to Kingstown um, in honor of George IV's visit to the city of the town. And then in 1920 it was officially changed back or given the name of Dunneary. So, I mean there's always this movement between the past and the changes that happen. One of the really Positive changes that have taken place in Dunleary in recent years has been the construction of the magnificent Lexicon Library and Cultural Center. It's like a great ship looking out over the bay. I'm here in the lexicon. I'm here to meet Marion Keyes, the librarian and historian, to talk about this library, but also about her understanding of what it's like to come from this town. You're from Dunleary, or you've got connections here yourself personally.
1: I am from Dunleary in that I moved here at the tender age of one. I came from the north side, and my dad got a job as a postman in County Hall, where the post office was at the time. So I grew up in Dunleary. I had a, a, a lovely life here by the sea. We went to the baths, the People's Park, ballet classes in Torrinda Park, and of course, the local library up the road on Library Road, suitably named. And that was built in 1912. It was a small and lovely Carnegie library and regularly went on visits there. So it was a great place to grow up.
0: I mean, I'm sort of intrigued when we talk about Dunleary, and in the background of that, in brackets, uh, Kingstown. I mean... Is it actually distinct or distinctive from Dublin? I, I remember one, one occasion when I moved here first in the early 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, I was in the dart station and I said to the chap, I could I have a, a ticket? He said, where are you going? Ticket for Dublin, is it? And it sort of put, my, put me back a bit. I was thinking, well, this is Dublin, is it not? Well, is it? Is, is Dunleary Dublin or is it a distinctive kind of environment?
1: I don't think we see ourselves in any way <laughs> as separate or, or, or in, in competition with Dublin. But for example, say with our mountains to Sea deal or a book festival or the Library Voices, authors, they love to come to Dunleary. It's near to the airport. It's near to the Dart Station. Many of them stay in the Royal Marine Hotel or the Haddington Hotel. And it, there's just a lovely ambience here. They can walk the pier. They can walk the parks. And it's a beautiful environment.
0: In many ways, what we're what we're talking about is the unearthing of the past. Mm. Um, I mean, looking back it, it is often a way of looking forward too. Uh, do you think that in some way Dunleary had a a bad reputation at some stage. You know, this was a an Anglo-Irish fortress. The people that lived there had in a way shunned the new emerging Free State and Republic and so on. Uh, or is that just a tired old stereotype
1: we had a lot of discussion about that because as part of the decade of centenaries we were celebrating the name change in 1920 back from kingstown to dunleary so th- there's still quite a lot of um, fondness for kingstown among certain t- communities and clubs they like to hold on to the kingstown aspect of it and in fact if you look at many of the town names it's still georgia street Upper and lower, there's Clarendon, Northumberland. Many of the English um, names are still in use uh, widely. But and uh, growing up, it was definitely somewhere that was seen as uh, almost like a spa or a a place where people would retire, especially a lot of people from England. So I certainly get what you're saying like that. So,
0: I mean, there is a kind of an interesting, curious mini-history of the town as well in that its connection, its bridge into Britain, into Wales and into England. England, that you do see that kind of uh, that uh, exchange going on maybe not so much now but certainly in the past what do you think about that
1: well I definitely think so because I lived in London for eight years and I spent many many times going backwards and forth on that boat which sadly finished up in 2014 um, all the the, the the ferries now go through Dublin yes it's the emigration story but it, the tourism for it, it was known as the gate of Ireland or the gateway of Ireland There were dozens of hotels in Dunleary. Exactly that kind of, what you're talking about, people coming here for a break and to take the air. I suppose in in more recent years, it's it's become very much a centre for youth as well. I think there's a real vibrant population. And a multicultural
0: kind of sense.
1: You can see how the town has been changing in in that sort of way as well.
0: And, And can I ask, in that sense of it changing over the decades, Is there a sense in which there is now a reformulated identity for Dunleary? Is there something cohering now becoming more coherent? of a new 21st century Dunleary or am I just imagining it?
1: I think this building itself speaks to that and I think um, we know the audiences that come in here and during normal times we would have the place would be full with students. Back in 2019 we had 540,000 people came in to the library that year and we're the fifth most popular free visitor attraction in the country. So these are huge volumes, and they're not all one demographic. You've got you, have got uh, various older people and adults coming to events and just coming into whether it's to read the newspapers or to catch uh, the latest exhibition. But then you get a huge family audience, and I can see over the years how that has evolved. Very many Asian, Chinese, Indian families using the facilities here and really really enjoying them. And I love when you, people come over on that boat from Hoth to Dunleary for a day trip. They want to come over here and see the library, have some lunch, get a Teddy's ice cream and maybe pop down to the 40-foot, you know, so they make a day of it.
0: Well, it's getting choppy now and the wind is coming up. It's still, the sun's still breaking through, which is lovely to see. I'm thinking about the 30 years I've been living in one place and wondering, does it qualify you to be known as a citizen, a native, a local? I think the answer is yes. The Dunleary I resided in in the 1980s and the Dunleary my family and I have lived in since is indeed a different space, even though the physical place hasn't changed that much, not really. As with other cities and towns and villages, the experiences of the past become part of the very fabric of what we know as home, family and friends as much as hopes and aspirations. I think that living in the town of Dunleary has taught me at least that much, while the past is never over and done with. It's the present we need to look after and cherish and plan to make it better for us all. Another country. Seaweed, like arms outstretched in the still high tide, floats inland as cars zip by the shrouded pier, the gray-blue sky stacked behind. An old boy pauses on the stairs to see what I see, the lighthouse keeper's house, the great granite rocks, before he returns to his guests who are all shadows of themselves, like you at the water's edge, like the heron that's about to strike. Daylight intensifies on your dressing table, rooftop, gable wall, the lonely trees, curtains drawn on leafy gardens. Soon the young will be out jogging. On a ledge of rock a cormorant airs its wings, gulls tack to the wind, and from the misty harbour a ferry blasts its slow departure, as the few brave souls on their morning stroll, wave to no one in particular.
4: Kingstown to Dunleary was presented by Gerald Daw and the contributors were Brendan Balf, Jonathan Williams, Milatu Uche O'Kori, Emer O'Connor, and Marion Keyes. Gerald Daw's poetry is published by the Gallery Press. Malatu Uche O'Kori's short story collection, This Hostile Life, is published by Skeen Press. To mark his 70th birthday this year, an event is taking place this coming Friday, 10th of June at the Seamus Heaney Home Place with Gerald Doe in conversation with Frank Ferguson of Ulster University. Tonight's programme was produced by Claire Cunningham with sound supervision by Tin Pot Productions. The programme was a Rockfinch production for RTE Lyric FM. It's available to listen to or podcast from the Lyric Feature webpage or from the RTE radio player.